Now, last week we studied what is really one of my all-time favorite passages in Luke chapter 8 as we looked at the, the, the calming of the storm that Jesus did when the disciples were there. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8 because we're going to be in the next verses following that. And we're, you may remember that Jesus had told his disciples they needed to get in a boat and they were going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they went, the storm and the tempest arose. They were in fear for their lives and Jesus sleeping in the boat was awakened by them and he calmed the storm with just a word. Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves stopped and everything went back to as it was. Well, it must have been a terrifying experience and if they thought things were going to get better, once that boat got to the other side, they were in for a surprise. In fact, it was a terrifying encounter. And if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter eight, we're going to begin by reading verse 26. Now, as we get started, I just want to remind you that what we're seeing over these last couple of sermons is Jesus demonstrating his authority over the world. He's demonstrating his authority over the world. He's done it over the wind and the waves. And now we're going to see that even with a terrifying encounter, Jesus has authority over the spirit world. Let's begin in verse 26. Then they sailed to the regions of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When he got out on the land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded him, and though he was guarded, bound, uh, I'm sorry, he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him, and many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and driven by the demon into the deserted places. What is your name, Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. And then he begged him not to banish them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs. And he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it to the town and in the countryside. Then the people went out to see what had happened. They came and found Jesus and found the man the, demons had depart, uh, the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him, but he sent him away and said, go back to your home until all God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming through the whole town how much Jesus had done for him. Luke begins by telling us that they went to the opposite side of the sea from the Galilee to the area called the Gerasenes. Now, some manuscripts 
call this the Gadarenes. And this may be how this individual is most uh, widely known as the Gadarean demoniac. That, that's what he's, he's described when people talk about him. But this area is actually the exact same place. It's just a, a different way of saying it. Uh, Gadarene Gerasenes. And, and it's a, a very small difference that you see there. Now, all, all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this encounter for us. And Matthew and Mark are very similar. With, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark and Luke are very similar with Matthew having one small difference. Matthew tells us there were two men who came to meet him, but Mark and Luke only record the man who spoke. Matthew records one man speaking to him. And this area is, is known, this Gerasenes area was known as the Decapolis. It had 10 Gentile cities, uh, that, which, uh, which it gets its name from, over there on the opposite side of Galilee from where they lived. And you can imagine this is a Gentile area. So when you see Jesus' ministry, you know that normally he spent most of his time with the Jews. In fact, oftentimes uh, we, we read stories about Jesus saying, I didn't come for, 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 the, for the Gentiles, but I came for the lost sheep of Israel, right? I mean, that, that was his focus. But in this instance, they travel across the sea right after the storm. And if you think about it this way, it really is the first mission trip that we see, isn't it? This is where they were headed, going to an area that was outside of where people knew God. And Jesus is going to go over there. And it's a very brief time that he's there. But the impact that he had was incredible. It really is an eternal impact. And it changed that area because of the gospel of Christ. Now, we go outside of the, the areas that we're comfortable in and we call that same thing missions. We go to people who don't believe or think like we do so that we might be able to win them to Christ by sharing the gospel with them. Well, in this instance, I want you to imagine with me what it must have been like to be a disciple. You've just come through a very particularly difficult day. In fact, we would call it a terrifying day. You've been on a boat that's taking on water and you're scared for your life. And the only thing you know to do is reach out to Jesus, tell him to get up and Jesus calms the storm. And while you're processing all that has just happened and kind of thinking to yourself, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? The boat finally reaches land and all of a sudden you're met with a naked crazy guy shrieking and screaming and you have to think, what have I done to deserve this? This is a tough day. It's an encounter that's different. Mark describes this man as even, I think in even a more vivid way by saying in Mark chapter five, verse five, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. The Bible tells us that this man was not even bound by guards and chains that he couldn't break out of it. He's totally possessed by demons, superhuman strength that allows him to do this, obviously not in his right mind, controlled by the demons, and the scriptures say that he's cutting himself, not living in a home, living in the tombs. But these disciples, as terrified as they must have been on the boat and as terrified as they might be when they meet this man as they step onto the shore, were about to see something that no one had ever seen. They were about to see something that was going to blow their minds. They knew now that Jesus had authority over the wind and the waves, but now they're going to find out that Jesus even has authority over the worst kinds of things that could afflict someone. And Jesus had this 
encounter, I want you to notice that it doesn't seem to bother Jesus. He's not put off by this. If you and I walked out of here and and were going to our car and someone came running up to us, not clothed, shrieking and cutting themselves, how do you think you might react? Certainly, I feel like I would recoil a little bit and be like, try to get some distance between me and that person. What's going on? And and you might feel a little off-put by what's happening, but that's not how Jesus reacts. When the demon spoke through the man to Jesus, he immediately recognized him as the Son of the Most High God. What others were often unwilling to recognize about Jesus, the demons always recognized about Jesus, that he was the Son of the Most High God. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now, this is very important for us to understand. The demons knew about God. They knew who Jesus was. They recognized him in the rightful place, the son of the most high God. In fact, they're they're willing to recognize Jesus in a way that other people were unwilling to recognize Jesus. The Jews didn't want to recognize him as the son of the most high God, but the demons recognized him that way. And it still wasn't enough for them to be in right relationship with God. The demons knew who he was, but they weren't interested in serving him. They'd chosen to serve another master. They were serving the God of this world, Satan, and it was evil. Listen to what James says about that kind of belief. James says, you believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. This is a perfect example of that. They believed that that, that God was one. Jesus was the son of the most high God and they trembled before him. What do you have to do with us? Don't torment us. But it wasn't enough to save them. It wasn't enough for them to be right. And and this is exactly how so many of our friends and and family members and, and maybe even you this morning might be. You might recognize who God is. You, you might know that Jesus is the son of God. But failing to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ is failure to be saved. Knowledge without submission isn't salvation. It's just knowledge. Many people believe that Jesus is different than others. They may even show a fear of him. The demons feared Jesus, but they didn't recognize him as Lord. And many people today still have this idea of of who God is and who Jesus is, but to recognize him as Lord means that we start to obey him. It's not that we're afraid of him or we have a lot of information about him. It's that he's the Lord of our life. Saving faith makes us obey the Lord. The demons simply asked Jesus to leave them alone. That's how a lot of people would like to live. I know who Jesus is over here. I keep him in a little box over there. And as long as he's contained, that's good. I don't want him to come in. I don't want him to overturn every stone of my life. I don't want him to peer into my life. I don't want to have to submit to his authority in my life. I'd rather him just leave me alone. It's interesting what the demons said. They said, don't torment me. Leave me alone. But when we come to Christ, he never leaves us alone. He comes in and he overturns all of those things because he's the Lord of our lives. 
And so Jesus speaks to this man and says, what is your name? And before the man can speak, the demon speaks and says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, it's hard to tell exactly what that means. Some have argued that, that this means there were 6,000 demons in this man because that's how many people were in the Roman legion, 6,000 soldiers. Whatever the case is, it's many, he says, the demon responds. There are many of us who have occupied this man. And this man was afflicted and these demons were overwhelming him. Three different times the demons spoke to Jesus. And I want you to notice something incredible. Look at verse 28, 31, 32. They speak to him and they beg him for things. The Bible says they begged him. They begged him. They begged him. They begged him not to torment them or torture them. They begged him to send him not to be sent into the abyss. And they begged to be sent into the pigs. They were begging because they recognized his power. He had power over them with just a word. He didn't need an army to fight thousands of demons. He just needed a word. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? When you're begging someone, you realize that they have the authority over you. Begging, pleading with them. Jesus has the ultimate authority. And I want to remind you about this this morning. It's Jesus over everything in our lives, folks. There's nothing that can come against Christ. Nothing that can overwhelm him. Jesus doesn't need an angel army. He just speaks a word. Satan needs his minions. Jesus speaks a word. Nothing can stand against him. We don't fight spiritual forces of darkness on our own. All we do is call for our Savior and our Savior comes in with a word. It's over. Because he's all powerful. He fights our battles for us. He is our refuge and our strength. We don't do this on our own. And I think this is so important for us to understand. And I wanna just give all of us who are believers in the room just a quick word of warning for, for just a moment. Every couple of years, there becomes this odd fascination in the Christian church with demons. I don't understand that. Why do I need to study about demons that Jesus speaks a word and they go away? Let's study about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That takes care of all that. I don't need to know all that. I don't need to, to go down that road. Study the real thing and you don't need the counterfeit. Study the real thing and you have the cure. You understand what I'm saying. It's important that we recognize the work of demons as real because they are, but the Bible doesn't speak much about it. Did you notice that? The Bible doesn't give us a book on demons. The Bible gives us the book of Jesus and it talks about his life and how it overcomes all of these things. So we recognize the Savior is bigger than everything. The Savior is bigger than darkness. The Savior is bigger than the enemy. The Savior is big, bigger than a legion of demons. And at this point, the demons have begged and asked Jesus to send them to pigs that they may inhabit that rather than the abyss. And Jesus obliged. Now, there are several opinions about this. Why did Jesus do that? Some have speculated that Jesus did it because he was upset that these people were keeping pigs after all because to Jews, pigs were unclean. That seems unlikely to me because this is not a Jewish region and these people weren't Jews, so they don't really understand that anyway. 
I think one of the more interesting things that I've heard came from some believers in Africa who were hearing this story for the first time. How many of you remember Morgan Jackson telling us this story as he talked about the little proclaimers? Can I show you a proclaimer real quick? I should have brought it up with me. I apologize. This is a proclaimer. We work with Faith Comes By Hearing to have the Bible translated. We work with them to record the Bible for it to be dramatized. And, and this, little, this little box can allow an entire village to hear it. Runs on solar, runs on battery, whatever you have. And, and Morgan told the story of us, or, or to us rather, about taking one of these proclaimers to Africa and, and they were reading through the gospel. And when they got to this story, the elders of the tribe stopped it and said, what does this mean? Why would God send the pigs, uh, send the, the demons into the pigs? What does this mean? And they debated and debated and debated and debated and debated for a long time. And they finally came to this conclusion. The soul of one man must be more important than the economy of an entire village. The soul of one man must be more important than the economy of an entire village. You see, you have to understand, they don't see pigs as smelly animals who are dirty. They see them as dollar bills. You know what I mean? It's like one of my friends said, I went to his farm one time and I was like, buddy, that is rough. And he says, smells like money. You know, that's what it is. They see it as their economy. And so they came to that conclusion that one person's life, one person's soul is more valuable than the entire village's economy. And I like that a lot, and I don't think they missed it at all. What might be also important for us to note about this, why would Jesus send unclean spirits into animals that would then rush off a mountainside? You may remember a few weeks ago we were studying the story of those four friends who brought their paralyzed buddy and cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down. The room was so filled they couldn't get in. And do you remember, they went to the top and they cut the, the tiles, removed the tiles and lowered him down. And do you remember what Jesus said when he first saw him? Your sins are forgiven. But Jesus then understood that everyone in the room was going, who does this guy think he is that he can have the authority to forgive someone's sins? And do you remember what Jesus said? So that you know that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins. Take your mat, rise and walk and be healed. It was a demonstration of that authority. It was a, a visible manifestation of Jesus's power. And in this case, nothing would show that like this. Jesus has told them to go into the pigs and the pigs rush down the mountain and kill themselves into the sea. Now you can imagine, of course, that that didn't sit very well with the townspeople when the herdsmen came back and told everyone what had happened, especially those people who owned that livestock. Everyone had come to see it for themselves. They, they had to come out there and see if it was real. And, and when they arrived, they would have noticed two things. First of all, there are no pigs. A large herd of pigs, where did they go? Gone, vamoose. No more pigs. Then secondly, they would have noticed this, that everyone would have noticed there was a large uh, a, a crowd around Jesus and the guy who had used to have been unclothed and sitting out there is now sitting at Jesus's feet and he's clothed in his right mind. Look at verse 35, would you? Then the people went out to see what had happened. 
They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, I want you to think about this description. It sounds very normal, except it's actually incredible. When we first met this man, he's living in tombs, he's naked, he's shrieking night and day, no one can bind him, he's cutting himself with stones, and what starts to happen is that now he's normal, sitting at the feet of the master, clothed in his right mind. I want you to notice how the townspeople reacted. Verse 37, all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. Thank you, Michelle. So getting into the boat, he returned. And they asked Jesus to leave, right? I mean, this, this is an amazing thing. Your greatest problem is the crazy guy who runs through the town cutting himself and shrieking and nobody can do anything with him. And what do you do to the person who did that? You choose economy over people and you ask Jesus to leave. In fact, it says they were afraid. They were they were afraid by this. They were, they were gripped by great fear. Now this statement reveals something important to us because that word fear is the exact same word that is used of the disciples in the previous story. It said that they had fear. If I could read it for you from verse 25 of chapter eight, he said to them, where, are your, where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? He commands the winds and the waves and they obey him. In the disciples' lives, their fear led to greater reverence for who Jesus was. He had revealed something to them about who he was, and they wanted to go deeper with him in the storm. They didn't want to run away from him. They wanted to run with him, right? They didn't, they didn't drop Jesus off and take off in the boat and say, get out of here. When Jesus got off the boat, they got off the boat. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to know more. But the townspeople didn't want to see any more. I guess they might have felt like if he keeps going through here, none of us are going to have anything. If, if he gets into town, what's going to happen? I mean, is he just going to destroy everything? They obviously fear who he is, but they're more afraid of what he might do. And they ask Jesus to leave. You know, the saddest part of the story to me is that Jesus obliged he got in the boat and left. Jesus won't be anywhere he's not wanted. He doesn't call a spiritual SWAT team and kick down the door to your heart. It says he stands at the door and knocks, waiting for those who will open and welcome him in. Jesus' kingdom wasn't going to be built and ruled and expanded by him coming through with authority and making things happen. Jesus' kingdom has expanded one heart at a time, one person at a time. And it's not because he's not powerful enough. Obviously, if, if Jesus can release a man from being held in check by thousands of demons or held under the control of thousands of demons, Jesus can do whatever he wants. If he can calm the storm, he can do whatever he wants. Don't forget, there's a day that's coming when there won't be a chance. And in that day, we'll see Jesus in his full power. Now we see him as he changes one heart at a time. Because when you see someone change like this, 
You know that Jesus is powerful. You see, on the day that he comes back, it'll be too late. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I just want to encourage you to do it. The Bible tells us that if we confess that we are sinners, God will forgive us. Confession means that we agree with God. See, that's the whole problem. Most of us live our lives not in agreement with God. That's the goal of every Christian, isn't it? Is to bend our will to the Father's will. So to live in confession means that when I step across the line that God has set, I say, Lord, this is wrong. I need my life to mirror your life. I need to agree with what you want for my life. I don't want to be under the control of sin anymore. I want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking you, Lord, to do that. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise. Then the Bible says we need to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does that mean? Again, to make a confession with our lips is to agree that Christ is the Lord, that God raised him from the dead. We're agreeing that what God says about his son is what we say about his son. Not that we're in fear of him, not that we know who he is, not that we know a lot about him, but that we have submitted our lives to Christ, that he is Lord. Not that we're in charge anymore. We give him complete control, and if you've never done that, after our service today, I want to talk to you about that for a few minutes. I'll be standing down front where I'm always at. I'd love for you to come and just, just talk to me. I'll answer any questions you have about that because nothing is more important today in your life than knowing Christ. I'll take as much time as we need. And if we run out of time, we'll hold the second service. And if we run out of time, I'll get you with somebody that we can get to. We will take all the time we need. This is the most important thing we could do today. I want you to see one more thing, though, before we wrap up. In verse 38, would you look again? The Bible says, the man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all God has done for you. And off he went proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. I have a feeling it's easy for us to know why this guy wanted to go with Jesus. His life had been changed in an instant. All of the things that had been afflicting him were over and now he'd been set free. And we know that feeling as believers because while we may not have been held under the, the forces of demon possession, we know what it's like to be slaves to sin and to be set free from that. To have that yoke taken off of us, we know what that feels like. And there's nothing better than just sitting at the feet of Jesus. You remember that's where Mary always wanted to be. Her sister Martha always serving, Mary always sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus gets ready to leave and this guy says, wait, wait. Where are you going? We're just getting started here. Come back. Let me go with you. It'll be great. And Jesus said, no. Go back to your home and tell them all what God has done for you. Can you imagine what uh, that family reunion must have looked like? You imagine a, a family that's embarrassed because they have a son that lives in the tombs. No one can do anything with him. They've long since lost the ability to control him. And there's a knock at the door. 
Who is it? I don't know. It looks like John. I don't know if his name was John. I'm just making that up. But they open the door and, John, you have on clothes. I know. Craziest thing happened. I met Jesus, son of the most high God. And when I met him, everything changed. And he began to proclaim everywhere that he went in that region. You see, that's what God does for us. The town that didn't want to have, any, have anything to do with Jesus now had a living witness in the town. And they couldn't deny what God had done in his life because everybody knew him. Oh yeah, you're the guy. Wait, are you really the guy? I saw that guy once. You don't look like him. I know, it's crazy. But what God has done for me is that he set me free. And that's exactly what God wants to do for you. He wants to set you free. There's a man named Jesus who came. He's the son of the most high God. And if we'll believe in him, he'll set us free from the law of sin and death. What a proclaimer. And you see, that's what missions really is, isn't it? It's one person telling another, have you met Jesus? So God leaves us in the places that we're at. He leaves us at work. He leaves us in our families. He leaves us in our neighborhoods so that once we come to know him, we have a story to tell. Have you been proclaiming the good things God has done for you lately? What a testimony. Testimonies are powerful. You can use them all the time. You can use them at the store. You can use them at the fr- with your friends. You can use them at ball games. You, you can just tell the great things that God has been doing in your life as of late. You see, the great testimonies that are lived out often cause a stirring in people's hearts so that they want to come and taste and see the Lord, he is good. There should be a sweetness on our lips. And then sometimes... God says, all right, good enough. Now I want you to go somewhere else. Somewhere that's different from where you're from. I want you to go to this place and I want you to begin proclaiming all the good things that God has done for you so that others may know that I am God and that Christ is the way of salvation. Our testimonies hold incredible power, church. We're not using them. To sit on those things that God is doing for God didn't do good things just for you so you could sit on it and think how great it is that God did that for you. God does it so that you'll be a witness and engage people with the gospel. And as Christians, we are visible proof of God's goodness to this world because our lives have been changed. I want to ask you to bow and pray this morning with me. And as we do, I want us to think about a few things. First, is there an area of your life that needs the Lordship of Christ this morning? That would mean you're a Christian, but you've been holding something back. And the Lord wants full control of it. Would you give the Lord Jesus Christ full control of your life today? Would you just grant him the rightful place that he should have? Submit your life to him again. Perhaps believe that Jesus is greater than everything. 
It's Jesus over everything, folks. You know, I never read this story without thinking about what incredible harm this man was doing to himself. I just want to say something to all of us this morning. And I want you to hear me very clearly. Every eye closed, every head bowed. The Lord Jesus Christ will never tell you to harm yourself. Will not happen. He'll never tell you to take your own life. He'll never tell you to cut yourself. He'll never tell you to do any of those things. That's not from the Father. So if you hear that voice today, I want you to rebuke it in the powerful name of Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you. Be louder today in my head than the voices that would try to make me harm myself. Our Father has loved us with an everlasting love. Lord Jesus Christ, we submit our lives to you knowing that your authority over our lives takes care of everything. And with a word, you can calm a storm. With a word, you can send the enemy running. And some of us today, Lord, are fighting the fight of our lives. And we ask you to help us fight. We call on you. You're a refuge, a strong tower, a place your name says, or your word says that your name is a place where we can run and find shelter this morning. Hide us in the shadow of your wing. Strengthen us. Remind us today that your plans for us change everything. And God, we pray that as we leave this place, we would be witnesses who proclaim your goodness to the lost world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.